This is Sam Sherman welcoming you to my commentary track for Black Heat. This is Sam Sherman welcoming you to my commentary track for The Murder Gang. This is Sam Sherman welcoming you to my commentary track for Girls Hotel. Guess what? It's all the same film under three different titles. Why would that be the case? A lot of stories about Al Adamson and myself making films, changing films, doing all kinds of things with films and uh, starting them, stopping them, reshooting. Well, this is a classic case of a film that has had several versions, several incarnations, and the reason was simple. We wanted to have a film that would serve several markets. And in doing revisions of the same film, it would be able to go into those markets and play successfully in different markets. Version number one was called Black Heat, which is what you're seeing now. Black Heat is a film that was devised as an action picture black exploitation film, if you'll call it that, to play in the uh, U.S. major markets where there were downtown indoor theaters that catered to African-American audiences. And these were large theaters like the Fox Theater in Detroit, and there were theaters in St. Louis, theaters in New York City. But as much as you could go in and gross serious money in some of those theaters, the campaign for Black Heat would not necessarily attract a white audience. So my idea was in those other areas where we were strong with kind of female exploitation, TNA, drive-in type movies, we could play instead of a few hundred at most in the black exploitation version, we could play three or four thousand playdates in drive-ins under the other title, which was my original idea for this movie, called Girls Hotel. And to make it work in that market, we added a different first reel, and I believe there was also some footage change in the middle of the picture. So the opening reel you're seeing was devised for Black Heat. Now, once we got to sell this film in the international market, we could have offered it in any version, but only certain markets would have wanted the Black Heat version. So we came up with an idea of taking the Black Heat version, which was basically an action picture, and calling it just a change title of The Murder Gang. So The Murder Gang was sold in the international markets where all over the world they were primarily interested in an action picture not one that was necessarily themed as black exploitation or as an R-rated kind of a female exploitation drive-in TNA movie but just an action picture so the picture went along those lines we started the film out as Black Heat and uh, it was basically distributed that way theatrically, which we did. Then we went ahead and took the release prints in the United States 
and changed them by putting on a new first reel and a new title, and it was called Girls Hotel, and it went into all the places where Naughty Stewardesses played and Girls for Rent and Women for Sale, all those pictures we had played and played off quite extensively. And then we went ahead and we sold it overseas as the Murder Gang. Now, it seems to have had more life as the Murder Gang because of a lot of these foreign sales, and it also had some home video distribution as the Murder Gang on VHS originally. And I believe in Canada they gave it some other title like U.S. Vice or something. It had some clever campaigns in foreign home video. They came some odd, odd ways of promoting this film that was still interesting. So that's basically how the film was sold. Then after all the playing as Girls Hotel, when we came to the New York market, where it had played originally as Black Heat, Terry Levine, Aquarius Films in New York, who represented us, felt he could bring it out again as Murder Gang. And we took the prints that now had the Girls Hotel footage and the Girls Hotel title on it, took those off, and we put Murder Gang titles on those prints. And we played 30, 40, 50, whatever it is, theaters in the New York area as Murder Gang or the Murder Gang. And it's really very funny. It's basically uh, what it is, is it's taking one film, making it serve many masters, reconfiguring it to hit the widest possible audience. We just didn't want to have a film that in some way we were limited to one thing or another with. We felt that we could use it and play several different markets, and it did prove itself. And the funny thing about this film I was intimately involved with the making of this picture. I might be considered the producer or executive producer or one of the producers, and still it's another picture on which I receive no credit. Some films I receive credit under a different name. Other films I receive no credit on. This is one of the films that I received no credit on, and yet I worked on this from the beginning. I mean, my original idea was making a picture called Girl's Hotel, and I told Al that story, and that was a picture I had wanted to make for some time. And then as I saw the market going into black exploitation films, I figured maybe we could take the basic Girl's Hotel idea and we could kind of put around it a African-American theme. And it gets down to the point of how did we get Timothy Brown to play the lead in this film? Because when you see it and you look at it just as uh, the murder gang or girls hotel, it is really a conventional movie. It's not such an unusual film. It's a conventional crime action with a little soft R-rated sex type of movie, but the leading man is black in basically a white world. It's not a true all black, black exploitation film. But how did I get into even wanting Timothy Brown in the film? Well, I'll tell that, but first I want to mention something. There's Timothy Brown on the right, Jeffrey Land on the left, and both of these people have seemingly disappeared from sight. Somebody said Jeffrey Land got into trouble, he was in jail. I know nothing about that, I can't say it's true. 
Timothy Brown. I can't get him through agents. I can't get him through Screen Actors Guild. I've been trying to find him everywhere. If anybody listening to this knows where Timothy Brown or Jeffrey Land or both of them are, please contact me through the distributor of this film. Anyway, Timothy Brown is a very interesting story. My wife Linda and I went to the movies and we always have gone to see films that we thought would kind of uh, have something to do with our business and we learned something about something and there was an independent company distributing a film and I think it was General Film or some name like that back in the early 70s and I believe the film was Bonnie's Kids and I think Sissy Spacek was in it before Coal Miner's Daughter and before she became really big and I don't know what real appeal Bonnie's Kids had as an independent film. I don't think it was an exploitation film, but it was doing business on the independent market, and I was interested to see what qualities that film had to serve that market. Well, it reminds me, just to flash back a little earlier, to how we had gone to see a picture that Otto Preminger had made uh, called Tell Me Something or Other, Junie Moon, with Liza Minnelli, and in it, there was a black actor in a featured role, and we really liked him. And I told Al about him. I said, this guy is great. I think he really can be a lead. He can really be good. Nobody really heard of him, but he had a background in sports I didn't know about, and that was Fred Williamson. And needless to say, we know what a great career he had and still has, and he's just a great person. And I personally would like the opportunity to work with him sometime. I think he's terrific. I did do an interview with him for a documentary film that uh, I was helping somebody with. And he was extremely nice and cooperative. And anyway, Al Adamson did make a film with him called Hammer that helped boost his career. It may have been his first starring movie. I don't remember that. But thinking a little bit of Fred Williamson, and we saw Bonnie's Kids in that film, there was a black actor, good-looking, leading man type, strong, also like an athlete. And I said, Linda, we've got to see who this is, and we've got to see the end credits and watch who it is. So we get to the end of the film, and there are the end credits. It says, that character, Timothy Brown. I said, we get home. I've got to call Al because I'm really excited. I think... I think Timothy Brown's terrific. We've got to have him in a movie, and he's got to play a lead role in it. So I call Al up, and uh, it's Al Adamson. I call him, and I said, Al, we just saw this movie, and I think you want to see it because there's a great actor in it, and his name is Timothy Brown, and he's terrific. And Al says, Timmy Brown? I know him well. I play basketball with him every week at the Hollywood Y. And that's, I think that's on Selma Street or around Selma Street in Hollywood. It's a landmark. And Al was very big, fan of basketball, and played at basketball until he was into his 60s. Loved basketball. And so that's how he knew Timothy Brown really well. So when we got to make a picture called The Dynamite Brothers, and I should mention, there was no commentary track on that put out on DVD. So now I can tell this story because it hasn't been told. I said I wanted Timothy Brown in that film, and Al talked to him when he played basketball with him next, and then Timothy Brown played 
one of the two main leads in the Dynamite Brothers. Well, he was so terrific in the Dynamite Brothers, I just said, this man is a superstar. He's great. He's wonderful. He's humorous. He's got a great acting style, good speaking voice, athletic, everything. It, it, it just, I, I think he could be a great star. And I guess it's much more difficult for black actors to become major stars. There are very few that reach that more difficult than, than white actors for some reason. But Timothy Brown at that stage of the game, just great. And I thought he did a wonderful job in Dynamite Brothers. And I told that to Al. I said, Al, I'm so impressed with Timothy Brown. And he was everything I thought he would be as a lead for us. Please keep him in mind for something else. So time had passed. It was a few years that had gone by. We got to making this film as Girls Hotel or Murder Gang or whatever we were planning to call it. And I said, get Timothy Brown. He's great and we'll have him play the lead, but he'll be the real lead, not just like a co-star lead. He'll be the real leading man and the star and the hero and everything. So Al said, great. Yeah, I like him a lot, too. He's very good to work with. So we got him in this film, and uh, here he is. You see him right there. And he went on to play uh, a big leading role in the movie Nashville, which I believe was uh, a part sort of like Charlie Pride the black famous country music singer. I think he had a part like that. I didn't see Nashville. I should have, but I haven't seen it. But I believe he had a big part in that. And also, which I didn't know, and I don't remember when this was, earlier or later, he also was a regular on MASH. And I did catch him on that, either on the series or maybe he was in the feature. I'm not sure of which. But I believe Altman liked him. I think that was something that was part of that. Now, where Timothy Brown went... What happened to his career? I mean, this is, this is the, I don't know if I'd call it the tragedy of the movies or the thing of Hollywood, but there are people that, that bring a lot of joy to audiences on the screen, give us a lot that really work hard, and sometimes they just don't get rewarded for it. They just don't really get to move up to that next level. I don't know, maybe they don't get good representation or something, but Timothy Brown... I'd still like to see him and talk to him and uh, hope he's well and I hope he can still do some acting because I, I think he's great. And as you watch this film, you know what I mean about it. He, he plays it so well. He's got such a good kind of a style, the way he makes things light. He plays it light. He can be light and serious within one scene. And I believe he does have a sports background. I don't know fully what that is, but that shows my lacking of knowledge in the sports field. Well, I got to believe there's more to it than that. Switching over to the other leading man in this film, uh, second build, second lead, Jeffrey Land, somebody I also liked. Uh, Al knew Jeffrey Land very well. It's Al Adamson. And uh, I believe he had another name. I think at one time, as I recall, way back when, he was called Tony. He may have been in some picture for Al that Al did. If I'm right, I'm not sure. He may have been in picture called, I think it was um, Female Bunch, but I could be wrong about that. But I think he did call him Tony at one time. Then he became known as Jeffrey Land. And he would work with Al, and he would work on the crew. He'd be there just moving lights and moving cameras. Or he'd play a lead. And I always liked to have him in a, in a film in a good part. I always said, Al, 
can we have Jeffrey in this film? Can we give him a part? Can we do that? And uh, I was very friendly with Jeffrey. I always liked him, and he's a very, very nice person to deal with and to work with and have him in a film. And he was a nice, nice individual. And the um, the latest part that he had done for us I believe was uh, Dr. Dracula, where he played Dracula. I saw him playing kind of a Frank Langella modern Dracula, not a Christopher Lee or a uh, Bela Lugosi type, but kind of a takeoff on Frank Langella's modern, uh, at that time, Dracula, and he played it well. Now, here with our friend uh, Timothy Brown is another one of our favorite people, Al Richardson, and Al Richardson was really terrific in Mean Mother, that's where Al discovered him, and he's a stage actor, and uh, he was terrific in Mean Mother. And I told Al, I'm very impressed with Al Richardson. I'd like to have him in Naughty Stewardesses. So we got to have Al Richardson with us in Naughty Stewardesses, and I got to spend some good time with him. He was just wonderful, and uh, when I submitted the script to him and asked him if he wanted to do the part, if he would read it. So he read it and he came back to me. He said, would you mind if I made some suggestions? And uh, there's a thinking actor. He doesn't just care about just the job. He wants it to be good. He said, I think this will be more powerful if I said it a little this way or a little that way. And I should point out that's another one of our friends, J.C. Wells, just saw the picture of playing Guido in this film. We'll get back to that. But uh, Al Richardson gave us a lot of good suggestions on Naughty Stewardesses. And he was just terrific in that. Terrific. He was also in Dynamite Brothers. He played Razor J in that. And he's certainly in this film where he's kind of the undercover uh, assistant uh, officer of uh, Timothy Brown. And he gets hit for no reason here. <laughs> but he still plays it very cool. He, he has a good good way about him. And I, I, I looked him up, I think, in one of the... Uh, the Academy Players Directory of Actors, where I could not find Timothy Brown, but I did find Al Richardson there, and I think he's still out there acting. And he was good. He was just good. A nice person. I would say that we enjoyed the era of uh, black exploitation pictures, Al and myself, because we, we made a lot of friends in that field, people who were good actors and... Uh, some of them who didn't get an opportunity in films and they they welcome they welcome doing the pictures they welcome doing them and they put a lot of effort into it and i, I realize how tough it is a lot of these actors who uh, acted during that era of black exploitation films or black exploitation films they call them now they had a, a time that they were active and people saw them and then it got harder for them to get parts i don't know why it just seems like it's a kind of a, a an era. Someone has a chance to work and then they don't. So, so much for that. At the time we distributed this film, there were a lot of interesting things going on. And uh, being in the New York office, which was the head office of Independent Inter International, I was at the, let's say, forefront of everything we did and would fly back and forth to L.A. to work with Al on the productions and would deal with whatever we dealt with in New York, which was the funding, distribution, all kinds of things that involved with international sales, working with the circuits. So when it came around for the distribution of this film, 
the the chances were that we would deal with Lowe's and RKO and the big circuits that had the theaters in the black areas. Now, I just get off this for a minute, then we'll get back to it. There's Regina Carroll. That's Al's wife. She did a nice job in this picture. The, the part of Faye, I should mention, I offered to Penny Edwards, and Penny Edwards was a very attractive lady who... Uh, I think her daughter's name is Deborah Winters. Her daughter went on to be quite an actress, and she passed away quite young, Penny Edwards, but she was a young, upcoming leading lady at 20th Century Fox, and then at Republic, a co-star of the leading lady to Roy Rogers. And uh, I wanted her to play this role of Faye, and she came in and read for Al, and she was so turned off by the... The fact that there was some tinge of lesbianism in it, it was very mild, really. It will turn up later in the film. And that was more in there for the provocative girls' hotel nature of the movie. And she just turned it down flat. And that's how come that uh, she was not in this film. Also, you'll see in this scene, uh, J.C. Wells, black actor with a shaved head. I just spoke to him a few weeks ago on the phone. He is a really fine actor, and he did so many good parts for us. He was very, very good, and a very close friend of Al's. And uh, he saw Al very close to Al's last days, and he was very upset about it. He mentioned it again to me recently, how Al was so down between Regina dying, and that propelled his life into a new direction, which unfortunately led to his death. But Al and Regina... That was a great love affair. And uh, later on in the film, there's a part where uh, the lead girl is involved with some uh, gambling. And you see Al sitting somewhere, either with a drink in his hand. Well, there you see uh, J.C. Wells standing next to Russ Tamlin. Uh, Russ Tamlin, and there they are. We can only say great things about Russ Tamlin, a fine actor from so many great major pictures. And... Uh, who contributed an awful lot to putting Independent International Pictures Company Corporation on the map. And if Russ is listening to this, thanks, Russ. Everything you've done for us, I really appreciate it. As did Al and Regina and all our families. We think the world of you. If you need a friend or a favor, we're around at any time. His work in Satan Sadist, which started our company off, just put us on the map. He was so great. And uh, work with Al very closely in making that film gave us a name star to be a leading man in a, in a very tough, violent, exploitive movie. And it helped get us the bookings and helped put that picture on the map and uh, make Satan Sadus what it has become, a real cult, cult favorite. So we always kept Russ Tamblin in mind for different things. And this is one of the pictures. And... Uh, he ends up being the lead heavy in this, more or less, and I, I see a lot of his same elements that he could bring forward into a character that's kind of tough. And now we have a little confrontation between Jeffrey Land and J.C. Wells. And I think we've used this garage location in several films. I think uh, both Jeffrey and J.C. can be seen in the same uh, exact location, uh, quite under different circumstances, in the film Nurse Sherry. 
just something to mention. Anybody looks at Nurse Sherry, thinks it's the same garage that the two of them were in. What are you doing? JC is a also a really good actor. Good guy. He's a good guy to have on your side. And he played this well. He was good in this film. As a matter of fact, when we were looking at this film in the work print stage, I said to Al, well, we've, got, we've got to expand J.C.'s role in this picture. And we did. We went back and reshot some material with him to expand his role in the film, which we did do. And we've done it in some other films, too, because he always just uh, came to life in that uh, film when you projected it. He just was so good. You just wanted to see him more. And this is Timothy Brown, kind of his... Uh, way he plays a role, cool. Why was he just standing there so long? He says, well, you know, I want to see how you would handle it. That was really very good. Played it real well. It's funny, you'd think that, that Timothy Brown would have done a lot of other films like this. I really don't know that he did. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed when you see how good he is in this and Dynamite Brothers. You'd say, why didn't he do a ton of movies like that? But that's not the case. Now, this is Jana Bellin who uh, worked for us only the one time and did a good job in the central lead in this picture. It was a dramatic role, tough, also very exploitive, rough in many ways. And uh, I believe she had done a lot of television and movies of the week, and I know nothing more about her career. Uh, getting back to talking about being in the New York office of Independent International and what we were involved with, once this was film was finished, and we were playing it as Black Heat. We had a big opening in New York. We played all of the the major circuit theaters that played it. I think it was a mix of RKO and Lowe's theaters. And as such, we promised RKO and Lowe's and all the other big circuits, United Artists Theaters, whoever was in on this, we were going to get out there and exploit it. We were going to do different things. And through my good friend Joe Franklin, we got to meet Ben the DJ, Ben the DJ is a black DJ. He's just a great fellow. We had a lot of fun with him. And he also narrated the trailer. And I believe he wrote it. It's cool and it's hot and it's this and it's that. You listen to the trailer narration. That's Ben the DJ. And uh, I believe he is on that track. And he, I believe he did some other things for us and helped us with promoting and marketing this. And I remember Joel Deach, our general sales manager, and myself, and Ben the DJ in my old 1969, my favorite Forest Green 1969 uh, Cutlass that was I was always known for and identified with. We drove all around New York City. We went to all the theaters and what was called the Underbelly Theaters and all the ghetto areas. And some of these areas were rough. And we were going there because we got our materials late. We were delivering posters and trailers and stills and displays and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> we went to some of these places. I think it was the Lowe's Gates in Bushwick and Brooklyn. The place you couldn't even get into it. It was chained up and gated up at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. It looked like it was closed, but... I don't know what was going on there. Eventually, they did open up and took the stuff from us. And the manager warned us, what are you doing here at this time? And 
et cetera, et cetera. We went all over the city. All the three of us went all over the city delivering stuff. And then Ben, the DJ, and I went out with our posters, one-sheet posters and staple guns. And uh, we didn't pay these uh, posting companies. These posting companies, they sort of monopolize everything. In other words, if you want to post movie posters in New York, it's almost like you're dealing with the mob. You've got to go through them. Well, they're just posting them on abandoned buildings and uh, fences that are closing up construction sites and things like that. They don't own these places. But they will overpost you the next day if you post and it, they don't do it. We didn't even know, though. We see posters all over the city. We said, we're going to go and put up posters. So Ben, the DJ, and I drove all over New York with our staple guns, and we put those posters up ourselves. Independent International doesn't use any posting associations or companies or whatever it is. I have no idea if they overposted us the next day or not, but we went out, and that's what we did. We went out putting our own posters up, went all through the town and got that picture played. I think it did fairly well, and it got it really launched. We launched it in New York City as Black Heat, and then it played all over the country in any, in any markets that could play Black Heat. And then we went ahead and gave it a cooling off period. Once we played off the black markets in the United States, we said, now we're going to change it to Girls Hotel, bring all the prints in, keep it off the market for six months or more, and we will do the doctoring of the prints with the new footage and the new title. And... Out they went as Girls Hotel. We just turned them around and sent them back out. I'm telling this commentary track in no particular order, and it's not going to be full length because I, I just uh, don't have all the talk in me for this today. I know a lot of pictures I sit down and I can blab forever. I just don't think I can on this. So whatever I'm going to recall, I'm going to recall. And um, I'm going to tell this out of sequence, but there is a scene coming up later in the film where uh, J.C. Wells and a group of heavies, they uh, get this messenger who's carrying banknotes, and they shoot him in the head and drag him off. And uh, this was shot by Gary Graver, the cameraman, in the back of a truck. He shot it from the back of a panel truck or something, and uh, some woman saw this happen, because apparently it was only done once, or the once that she saw it once done, and she thought that a real messenger was really shot by some real crooks, and she went ahead and got the police. Well, the police came there and busted the whole film crew and they had sawed-off shotguns, and Al spread-eagled over the hood of the car. It's not the first time Al had those problems. In making Hell's Bloody Devils, uh, he was arrested for uh, real motorcycle guys having real weapons. But uh, that was one of the more uh, vivid situations. There may be some still photos of this. I don't know if we'll have them on this disc or not. Somewhere there may be some still photos showing this whole bust because Al would always use a thing like that if some real-life event 
sort of intruded on the making of a film, he'd want it documented. So Hetty Dietz, our, our still photographer, and I should mention Hetty for a minute, and Bob Dietz, her husband, and Hetty's still around. Bob passed away, sadly. They were a great team on all these pictures that we made. Hetty Dietz doing stills, Bob Dietz doing the sound, and they worked together so well. Bob also would shoot some extra stills while Hetty was doing something else, and uh, I can't stress enough how important having stills is for us in the need of doing advertising and promotions and everything, and she always documented every scene we had. And there's Russ Tamlin, kind of a Russ Tamlin sadistic uh, laugh, a little throwback to Satan Sadist kind of a character that he played in this film. And uh, of course, always excellent. Russ Tamlin always doing an excellent job in anything. And uh, so anyway, there was the story of the big police bust on this movie. Now later in the film also, Jana Bellin will who was a girl with a gambling compulsion, she would go back to gambling, and she's going to go and play cards with some rough guys, and uh, it leads to her being raped by all of them. And I would say that that is one of the sickest scenes we've ever had in any film. It is absolutely sick. If we stay with this right now in the timing of what it is, I think Al did shoot some stuff in Vegas for this. I believe this is, is new footage. Yeah, there she is. So it's not something we picked up from something else. He went up to Vegas to shoot some more footage for the film. It's very colorful. It gives you some pizzazz. And Gary Graver had shot similar material for us on uh, Naughty Stewardesses that we shot up there. I'm just looking. I think we're going to find Al Adamson here himself. I just want to point him out. I did mention we'll be seeing him. She's sort of a compulsive gambler. And let's see what happens here. There's Al. There he is. Al's just sitting there as a compulsive gambler and gambling along with her. <laughs> Al had kind of a Hitchcock complex. He would turn up in odd places in some movies. Had a chance to see him in little odd bits. There he is again. Oh, that's great. That's great. A turn of the card. Al knew it was a turn of the card. And... Making these pictures certainly was a turn of a card situation. Now let's see if there's any more of Al. She's going over and throw a few quarters into the slot machines. I guess that's all we're going to see of Al in that scene, but I guess we could talk about it anyway, so we did. I was getting back to the scene in which she plays cards with these men, and she is raped. And that is about one of the roughest scenes. It's got an R rating. It's not rough because of a lot of nudity and everything it's just very perverse and very rough and it's done in such a strange way I would say could I sum up Al's talent Al had great talent he could do serious scenes he could do sensitive scenes but he would get to do something like that that he would come up with a concept like that of uh, a girl playing cards with these rough men and putting up herself as a table stakes or whatever she was she was herself she was going to give herself these men if she lost and just so rough so perverted and uh, it ends in such a perverted way when you see it with her face in the cracked mirror I would say if this were done by some auteur in France or in Italy they would talk about this being so wonderful so clever so brilliant but here's a film that's largely unrecognized 
of all the films we've made, I'd have to put this in the upper 10% of films that are not well-known, that have not had much life or been seen that much. And yet, uh, I think that Al did very well. I think this picture was well-made. And that scene particularly, if you're not easily offended by something, if someone is offended, it's going to really be upset about it. But anybody that understands this kind of film won't be offended by it at all. Now, this little uh, pool hall we're in, this little set, which I believe is a real pool hall, it's not a set, reminds me of a still of Al directing a scene in this place. And it must have been pretty hot in there, small place with a lot of hot lights. And Al was there with his shirt off, wearing a regular blue jeans or something, took his shirt off. And Hal was always used to having his shirt off. He was always swimming or out in the sun or doing something. Well, still of this surfaced. And it ended up in one of these golden turkey books of the Medved brothers. I don't know if it's both brothers or one brother. Now, these guys are pretty big mouths, either on television or in their books, and they get a chance to say what they want. And I've got a pretty big mouth, and this is my commentary track, and I'm going to say what I want. I think these guys are really idiots. They've gone ahead and promoted themselves into jobs as reviewers and experts on the backs of other people's work. They've gone ahead taking all kinds of swipes at people's work. I'm not just talking about Al Adamson and myself, but everybody, bigger pictures, everything, just being cute, Golden Turkey Awards and knocking everybody's work. What have they ever done? You know, it's very easy to knock people. Why don't you try making a picture yourself, Medved Brothers? See how difficult it is. And you want to make it more difficult, do it with one hand tied behind your back. Do it on a low budget. Tie both your hands behind your back, which is about what the budgets we had. And what they said about Al was so unfair. It was so miserable, especially now that Al is gone. I'm, I'm highly insulted about it. What they said was... Uh, this was a scene right here, this scene, one of these scenes in this little uh, pool hall. And uh, Al was there, maybe next to the camera with his shirt off. And they said, Al Adamson directs this scene, and so on and so forth, bare, bare-chested, in his breezy, sleazy style. Well, I don't know what it is that's breezy or sleazy about the material shot in this locale. I don't know why, because he's bare-shirted. Uh, bare chest, I mean bare shirt, bare chest is what I meant. And there's Sheldon Lee behind uh, Tanya Boyd, by the way, who's assistant camera person here. I'll tell you about Sheldon Lee in a minute. Why? Because he's, he's got his bare chest, he's got his shirt off. That has anything to do with his breezy, sleazy style. I just want to indicate uh, these people are really unbelievable. You know, I know many people that review pictures, and we can take a bad review from anybody. People have given us good reviews, bad reviews, no reviews. But I just don't like people building their career on the backs of others. Now, this Sheldon Lee, who was around, involved with us for many years, he worked as a production manager. He worked on pictures. I believe he wrote songs. He wrote scripts. I think he's still around. He was interviewed for the book on Al Adamson, a cover myself too, called Schlockorama, the films of Al Adamson. 
and uh, he talked about some of the things as he recalled, and some of them were not the way they recalled. He's talking about people having sex in cars on the set while we're making movies. I don't recall any of that, and I don't think Al recalled it either. Anyway, this is a scene right here that for some reason we reshot. In the original version, I believe there was a uh, terrorist who was black, and the person they were holding was white. And I said, we can't do that. This is a movie in which we're showing a, a good side of, of people of all colors. We don't want to make the, uh, the black guys bad in this thing. So, I mean, there was one, one guy, which was uh, Guido, played by J.C. Wells. So I think for that reason that I wanted this reshot. Or maybe I just didn't like the other version of it, but uh, the other version was not too good. But I think we have stills of it. And uh, we did lead to reshooting this. Basically, all these shots were saved. Uh, all of the other shots of Timothy Brown, these shots were saved. Now, we just had uh, sort of a point of view shots that we used uh, that we had changed of the people. And so much for that. Again, this Sheldon Lee went way back with us in many things. And uh, when we were making Dracula versus Frankenstein, Sheldon used to hang out with me. We used to hang out together and drive around, have lunch. And I always liked Sheldon a lot. He was always a lot of fun. And I remember at that time, making Dracula versus Frankenstein, we had our offices, which Al had up at the Hollywood stages, 6650 Santa Monica Boulevard. And uh, we worked up there. Sheldon and I were going all around doing whatever we were doing. And every day I'd come back and my girlfriend, Linda, would send me another card. She would send me such cute cards every day and uh, there would be mail for me. And I'll, he said, another card, another card. Boy, this girl must really like you. I said, I think she does. And she sent me some funny card, some joke, or tell me something was going on. It was very cute. And Sheldon, who was used to the kind of of Hollywood kind of uh, easy come, easy go girls out there. He wasn't used to people like that. And uh, Linda and I have had a very good relationship, been married for uh, 32 years almost and counting. But that's what used to happen every day. We'd come and get the mail, and Sheldon Lee would say, Ah, another card. I can't believe it. That's what he couldn't believe. In doing many of these commentary tracks for films I've been involved with, it's been very interesting because I've sort of searched my memory of things that happened and things that went on with Al Adamson, myself, and other people in the making of films. And I've uh, enjoyed that era and still doing things in the business. And getting back to Black Heat, yes, it's getting pretty hot just in this scene. It's really Black Heat. And Black Heat, I should mention Tanya Boyd here. Uh, Tanya Boyd was the star of Black Shampoo, which I believe was pretty successful. And she was a good friend of Tracy King, also known as Marilyn Joy. And Dal uh, didn't want Tracy in this picture also because she'd been in every picture we, we were making. Al said, we have to have somebody else once in a while. I like Tracy a great deal. I said, I want Tracy again. Tracy... Al said, I know you do. I like Tracy, too. She's a friend. But we have to have 
other people in addition to people who are friends because people are going to say every picture has the same people in every part. So we had Tanya Boyd in this film who was very voluptuous and good actress, very pretty, and did a nice job in the film. Well, getting back to Black Heat, this is a short commentary track. I don't have that much more to say about it. I just hope you enjoy the film. The film speaks for itself. It was a film of that era. It came, it played, it had its different versions. And I hope you're enjoying listening to some of my recollections and also enjoying the film. This is Sam Sherman signing off for now. Sure. Hey, Terry. Hi, how are you? Hey, Bobby. Good to see you. Let's make it two hundred. Okay. Where is the other scanner? Hey, Kicks. What you said before? You weren't serious about fancy, you were you? No. Look, there have been five major heists in the last two years. The only connection between them all, all inside jobs. Now, what would that have to do with the Queen's Castle? Hey, I got it. In each case, the ripoff involved a chick who lived here, right? You got it. It was all Tony's idea. That's why he hooked up with Terry. Figured she just might be the next likely candidate. Especially since she works for that um, security transfer place. Yeah, plus give them a chance to hang around here a lot. Well, girl, I wish there was something we could do. Well, the best thing we could do is just leave her alone. She's got to work it out herself. Anyway, you've done enough lying to her boss about her poor sick mama. Well, she's out running around having sprees. Yeah, but she's in a spot. I'm just trying to help. She would do the same for me, Kicks. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. She doesn't realize what she's doing. Or why. If I could only get an angle. What? Nothing. Yeah, just thinking about Tony. You know, he's just like a brother to me. Would it help if I snooped around a little? Look. You just stay away from it, okay? Just don't mess around with it. If Ziggy wasted Tony, he's not gonna give a damn about putting away a little Snoopy reporter now. Come on. Yeah, but what a story. You don't think I can just uh, look the other way now, do you? You just stay out of it, or... Or what? Or I'm gonna bite your little ass. Sweet ass!
Sergeant Carter. Kings! <laughs> this is our man in the ghetto. The man that's going to get you your promotion. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, give me an update. That dude's put in an order big enough to arm all the African nations. He wants everything, from automatic weapons and explosives to nail clippers. And he wants it like yesterday. And how in the hell do you figure on delivering? Hey, <laughs> he's dealing with Trader Al, baby. I can get them. The people I'm dealing with sitting on everything I need. But the one thing they haven't got is bread. They'll be only too willing, baby. Hey, look, it's getting a little heavy, man. Sure it is. But dig, that could put me in on both sides. First we get this Gita. I really want to nail his ass. Yeah, I wonder what his game is. If it's narcotics, then he's damn slick. Why the hell he needs Faye and Ziggy? I'll never figure that one. Just doesn't add up. Yeah, I know. But we've got to deliver. We can't have him going around scoring weapon and ammo on his own. It's got to be through us. We're too close to this now. Yeah, well, look, if you need anything from my end, let me know. Hey, be careful. Keep a low profile. <laughs> low profile. I turn sideways, Jack, and you won't even see my black ass. Hang tough. Or something? What am I worth? 
If I lose, I'll take you all on. When do we collect? Now. If I lose. I call. Aces full. No way, I ain't. Four, little seven. Look at all that money. Wow, you must be rich. What do you want, Ziggy? <laughs> Just hanging around. Well, why don't you hang out a little further away? Come on now, Val. That's, that's not being very friendly, is it? Huh? Why can't you be nice to me for a change? Here, I'll help you with your money. Oh, sorry about that. Cute. You know you're about as much fun as cancer. Hey, you're getting real clever. You're, you're developing a real salty mouth, you know that? Why don't you leave me alone? You know my scene, Ziggy. I don't bother you. 
Oh, that's just it, Val. You, you do bother me a, a lot, you know? <laughs> You're hurting me, damn it. Hey, let me ask you something, huh? Let me ask you something. You got that old man in prison, huh? And he's been there for such a long time. How come I never see you with anybody, huh? I mean, what are, you, what are you saving all that precious meat for, huh? My old <laughs> age. Now, will you let go? Hey, you know what they're doing to that old man of yours in prison, don't you, huh? You know what the guys are doing to him? But by the time he gets out of jail, he's going to never want to look at another woman again. <laughs> you make me sick. He's ten times the man you are. Oh, there goes that real serious mouth again. You and Faye deserve each other. You're both a couple of sickos. Oh, suck it to me, sicko. Look, here's a dime. Why don't you go call somebody who gives a shit? All right, what should I call? Look, what do I have to do to get rid of you, huh? Do you want me to do scream? Oh, you'd really like that, wouldn't you? Okay, I'll play your little game. Shut What the hell is this? You okay? Yeah, just great. Why don't you call your goddamn dog off? Ziggy, get in there. Now! Did you hit the girl yet, Faye? Well, what are you waiting for? Straighten her out. What the fuck's keeping you? Well, lean on her, Faye. I need some action now, or I'm out. No, I don't think you do understand. If I'm out, where does that leave you? Wrong. Not only do you lose your cut, but you're out of business, period. You and Ziggy. Got it? Men. Sit down. Oh, uh, no thanks. I'm in a hurry. Suit yourself. You've been leaving your IOUs with some pretty rough people. I just done you a favor and bought them up. Almost 15 grand. 
you could get me some information from that stock and security place where you work. You've done it before. You mean like an inside tip on the stock market? Yeah, sure, that's it. But not really a tip. I need some information about the movement of one of your messengers. Say, you know I don't have access to that kind of information. <sighs> then you're gonna have to pay up. Cash. Today. I can't. I don't have that kind of money. Where am I gonna get that hey, kind of money? Hey, don't break down on me again. I'm perfectly willing to give you a little time. A little time? Sure. You ask me real nice. And I'll give you a couple of days. you were taking me home. Relax. I've got to make a quick stop. It's just a little out of the way. for you soon, but I, I just don't have it right. Oh, oh no, hey, it's sitting against my car. Think, that's it. I, I'm going to work it out. Get your money! 
damn it, Ziggy! What did you do that for? God, I can't even get the work. <laughs> <laughs> You sure have beautiful legs. Hate that anything happened to him. That messenger must carry over a quarter of a million dollars in negotiable securities. Thanks. And then he wants me to call him and tell him the, the time he's going and the route he's going to take. Well, I think we should call the police. I can't do that, Ziggy. would kill me. Yeah, and he will, too, if Kicks is right. He thinks Ziggy killed Tony. Oh, my God. Look. I got an idea. After you call Ziggy about the messenger, you call me. I'll follow him and film the whole ripoff. We'll nail Ziggy Cole and you'll be safe, okay?
Hey, how you doing? What you got? Take a look at this. Shit. You gotta be crazy messing around like this. Why in the hell did you call me first? I'm sorry. I didn't think they'd actually kill anyone. Jesus Christ. Where are they now? I don't know. Probably back at the club. Bell's hanging out to keep an eye on things. Hanging out where? At the club. I suppose Terry's there too? No, she's, she's at work waiting for me. Well, look, you call Val Tor to get the hell out of there. And you pick up Terry and catch up with me later, you got it? Yeah, all right. Now! Hello? Is Valerie there? Val, it's for you. Who's this? Who do you think it is? It's Ziggy. Oh, hey, Ziggy. How you doing? Okay. Stephanie. Hi. Hey, look, I realize you can't talk, so just listen. I saw the whole thing. It was terrible. They killed the messenger. I saw Kicks, and he's on his way over there, the cops. And we got all the evidence we need, so get out of there right now. Okay, I'm on my way. Evidence is Stephanie talking about. Sweetheart, I got ways of hurting you you don't even know about. You want me to lean on your old man? Huh? Baby, one phone call from me and we can snuff him out like that. I'm not kidding. Look, I'm just a piano player around here. I don't know nothing from nothing. Lying. Hello? Ziggy, this is Kix Carter. Place is surrounded. You have five minutes. Get in position. What is it? Your world's about to come down around your head, baby. The cops are here. You guys cover the back door, huh? Head, you and Mel cover the front door. What do we do about her? Yeah, she's just another loser. Better forget about her. Come on, let's head for the roof.
It's all over, Ziggy. I'm taking you in. Hell you are, you nigger cop bastard. One more step and you're gonna end up just like your partner. <laughs> Ziggy, but Guido got away. I winged him. I know that much. Yeah, well, hey, don't worry about that. You got another shot soon enough. The bait's set for Sana. And hey, don't let him slide this time, okay? Oh, where are you making the switch? I don't know. That's up to him, somewhere in the desert. Look, now, how in the hell am I gonna... Hey, relax, little brother. Everything's covered. I put a J4 homing device inside the crates. Just give Brother Al a little chance to make the delivery. Follow the bouncing red ball, baby, and that nasty nigga's all yours. Yeah, you make it sound pretty simple. Yes, baby. You dealing with Trader Alfonso, great gun dealer of the Western world? Just like melted honey. We give everything but green stamps. Yeah, just like the neighborhood supermarket. Later, baby. son of a bitch for two years. What makes you think you can get him? We'll get him. You federal narcs have spent too much time on paperwork and expense accounts instead of getting on the street where the action is.
matter, baby? Somebody tried to scap you? <laughs> hey, false goods, baby. I've already checked it out. Only been used once by a little old school teacher in Watts. <laughs> You're a regular Flip Wilson, ain't you? Another day, another dollar. Nothing to it, baby. Hey, when you want to do this again, hey, let me know. I'll deliver all you can buy. It's A1. Check it out yourself. you having fun. I did my work, baby, that's all. <laughs> yeah, count it. Oh, no need for that, brother. I trust you. <laughs> I want you to count it. We won't be doing business again. Greedy sport. Oh, wow. And you never were funny. They must be just touching the guns. You better hope so. They're moving. Let's go.
Well, they're waiting for something. So we wait, too. Yeah. Could be it. Yeah. Looks like it's gonna land. Call the man, tell him to move up now. Yeah. They should have been here by now. Don't worry about it. They'll be here. Yeah, well, you wait for them. I can't afford to waste any more time. You coming?
auxiliary tank. Shake a leg, baby, shake a leg, baby, shake a leg, shake a leg, shake a leg. 